Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Kraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another evening, another weeknight, reflecting into the richness of our faith. It is Tuesday night, so we have the opportunity to take up once again uh, church history and the great Christian thinkers in history. If you have been uh, joining me on Tuesday night, you know that uh, we're really laying the foundation, and we're doing that with just simple reflections on uh, what is history, why we study history, and instead of jumping into maybe, say, major events in church history, we are drawing back, and with that foundation, considering uh, the, the first church fathers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so, the last two weeks, we've, uh, we've taken up Matthew and uh, John O'Hara was with me, and we talked about the importance of Peter in the Gospel of Matthew. So today, we're going to talk about Mark, uh, and I'm going to be doing that with uh, George Wing. George, it is good to have you with me tonight. Great to be here, Joe. So, uh, George, with John being out of town, I thought, you know, you have joined me before on the radio, and I know we've had a lot of fun, so I thought, you know, here we are talking church history, and I know that these next uh, 25 minutes, we're going to have a lot of fun. George is a... Uh, a retired educator, what, 36 years, George? Amen. <laughs> uh, and a parishioner over at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church. So, um, you know, with that, George, just a, a quick snapshot of a few things that we've talked about with regards to history itself. You know, why study history? You know, John O'Hare and I, we were really placing an emphasis on the importance of memory, you know, and memory and identity. Our memory is this, is, is the principal faculty, this human catalyst of the human spirit, uh, reflecting on how, you know, if we didn't have our memory, we wouldn't be able to f- complete the sentence, you know, we wouldn't be able to have a dialogue, we wouldn't be able to function. So, um, memory is important, and so it's, it's really vital that we consider uh, who we are based upon where we come from, so as to gather where God wants us to go. Yeah. Roots. Yes, yes. <laughs> we have to know our roots. Yeah, yeah. and John wonderfully mentioned the, the, root, the program roots a few weeks ago. Absolutely. Very important. Very important. And of course, then, you know, what is history? You know, history is to weave. It means, uh, comes from a Latin word that means to weave a pattern. And so, to take up history is to kind of take up um, how God has, has weaved a pattern, if you will, Mindful of, of the great words of Mark Twain that history never repeats itself, but it does have a rhyme scheme. Uh, so the why and the what are important, certainly. But for all of it, it's to remember that history itself is just not a timeline. But there are people on that timeline. And uh, the people on that timeline made decisions. The great line from uh, John Paul II, blessed John Paul II, soon to be canonized, of course, you know, that, that history is not some series of chronological events, but an event of freedom, an event of man. Uh, so, again, this is our emphasis, looking at individuals in history, how they've shaped and formed church history. And certainly, this is why we start with the first evangelists 
uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And tonight, we are on Mark. Now, the question begs to be asked by way of opening here, George, Mark, he's not an apostle. By what authority does he have to pin a gospel? He was one of the 70. Yes, yeah, and and one of the 70, and it's to be mindful of the importance of apostolic succession, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a channel of that as he spent time with Peter. We also know that he spent quite a bit of time with with Paul, um, noted in, in, of course, his epistles and acts. Well, as one of the 72, he would be an authentic disciple of Jesus. And although it doesn't come up in the his biography here, I would imagine that he was an eyewitness to many of the events in the ministry of Jesus and in his life. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, while commentaries talk about uh, Peter being the authority behind um, Mark, uh, certainly there can be a lot said to uh, what Mark actually saw. But to that relationship between Mark and Peter, George, I think there's a real insight to be gained. We were talking a little bit before the radio program about um, the person of Mark, in so far as, uh, or rather, Peter, the person of Peter, in so far as uh, who he was uh, as, as a human being. Well, talking about his humble origins, and um, you know, as being a fisherman and a man who had worked with his hands, and imagine, I can imagine that he had a, a, a kind of natural presence about him, and. Uh, a sense that he was the leader, and as you and John pointed out, of course, Peter is named specifically more often than any other apostle in the um, in the New Testament. Yeah, three times as much. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think he had a certain directness and simplicity about him, and a genuineness, and he exuded a certain strength that I think would have given people great confidence. But of course, it's not that he was uh, without flaws. And we see those coming out in the New Testament too, and but uh, flaws that point to his growing humility in the tremendous responsibility ultimately that was placed upon his shoulders after the uh, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Um, Mark would have had the a beautiful experience being, as Peter described, a son of his. And um, although not a spiritual son, to uh, for Mark to be able to assist Peter in his apostolic work, and then later on assume that work himself as the founder of the church in Alexandria, Egypt, mm-hmm. another apostolic church, the Coptic Orthodox Church of Egypt, like the Orthodox Church of the East, the Roman Catholic Church, is an apostolic church. Yeah, that's one that can trace its beginnings back to the apostles. And uh, this is uh, it's an important point. Now, Mark, I think, would have brought to Peter's service something very valuable. According to Coptic tradition, he was born in Cyrene, a city in the Pentapolis of North Africa. It's now Libya. Mm-hmm. Marcus would be a Roman name, or Latinate name. John, of course, um, because he referred to as John Mark also, yes, would have yes. been his Jewish name. Yeah. So I'm suspecting, suspecting he was a Roman citizen. That would have accorded certain privileges. I think he was fluent in Latin. He fluent in Greek. 
Uh, he knew his Jewish catechism. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, so I think he would have been of great service to Peter, whose experience in life was centered around Galilee. And so I, I imagine was, um, it was, you know, one of these relationships was mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and with that, George, a few points to be had. I think when you get into the Gospel of Mark itself, what you find, among other themes, is this theme of, of identity and secret. So, you know, why does Mark place an, an emphasis on this? You know, he, that the demons want to proclaim who he is, and he silences them, mm-hmm. you know, in this gospel. He's constantly telling his followers not uh, to reveal his identity. Um, why? Because he doesn't want the paparazzi that's going to proclaim him as this great political leader no, he wants the people to understand that uh, if you are to have a messianic expectation, it's going to come through servanthood and suffering. Mm-hmm. This is the great paradox of this new Christian vision. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. From Mark's Gospel. Amen. And you know, George, with that, who is he writing to? He, he's writing to uh, Gentile believers in, in a time that are experiencing fierce persecution under the depraved Nero, you know? Mm-hmm. So they need something to, to hang their hat on, you know? Mm-hmm. Give me something here, Mark. And yeah, mm-hmm. Mark would have, knew, would have known this audience, and this was really important. And so what do they have to hang their hat on? Well, the greatest truth of, of Christianity ultimately is that Truth itself is found in humility and poverty, which is, of course, truly realized in, uh, in sonship in Christ. And so, while it might not be the answer that they are looking for, certainly this is the hope that you, you cannot place all of your marbles on, on this side of the heavenly Jerusalem, but be rooted in your relationship with Christ. You know, we hear Peter rejoice in the suffering, 1 Peter 4, 3, 4.13, rejoice in your suffering. What does he mean by that? That your joy is not some sort of material happiness, happenstance. It's something deeper. It's knowing that you're doing the will of God and ultimately that you will render everything for Christ. And doing the will of God in joining our earthly sufferings with that of our Lord on the cross. It's great privilege that's given to us that we can make up what is still to be done or still to be accomplished uh, by Christ on the cross. And certainly Mark exemplified that in that, according to tradition, he suffered a martyr's death mm-hmm. in Alexandria. Uh, it says here in AD 68, they placed a rope around his neck and dragged him, dragged him through the streets until he was dead. So he knew what it was not to come to be served, but to serve and to give his own life as a ransom for many. And you have an entire, the church there in North Africa, then spreading down into Ethiopia. Those are all Coptic lands. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we are edified to this day by Mark's marvelous gospel. So he truly did give his life as a ransom for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, as we talk about um, Mark and what he did, I before this program here, George, we were talking about, you know, this relationship between Kairos and and Kronos. And and 
what really has to happen? What has to take place in order for Kairos to be realized in history? Again, when we talk about Kronos, we're, we're talking about man's uh, time. With Kairos, God's time, grace time, purpose-driven time. This is, this is the stuff of Kairos, where God penetrates our reality and gives us a new understanding of, of what it means to be fully human in relationship with God. What penetrates the timeline but that servanthood, that servant leadership? Uh, we go back into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for a reason, George, and that reason is that we can grab hold of the beautiful witness of these men. It was only John, you know, who, who didn't die a martyr's death per se. Uh, the others did, and as they did, they offer for us, you know, hope, the confident assurance of, of what is yet to come, and to embrace in, in our own time period the need to, to be present to uh, the importance of witness, the importance of conforming our lives to, to the crucified Lord. John, I'm, I'm not certain if John was married. It could be that his martyrdom, and he lived to be over 100 years of age, was the martyrdom of celibacy, mm. like Jeremiah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that, it, that was, it, his martyrdom took a different form. Of course, his imprisonment on Patmos. Sure, that, sure was probably not a vacation. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, and, and you're highlighting, I think, a very important point. You know, we have two categories, if you will, of martyrdom. Certainly the red martyrdom of, mm-hmm. of you know, laying down your life and how these men died, you know, giving their very life. And of course, the more uh, pure white martyrdom, just laying down your daily duties before the crucifix and saying, take them mm-hmm. and, and give them redemptive power. Well, and surrendering one's sexuality completely mm. to God. Yeah, yeah. Completely. A profound, a profound witness. Yeah, mm. yeah. And so, a very important, and looking at Mark and these other themes, you know, we see the use of immediately, constantly, you know, more so than in the Gospels. And certainly, Mark wants to place at the center of his Gospel this need to, to rise up, this need to respond to, to God's will. And not that, uh, you know, he's telling the faithful Gentiles there in, in, in Rome to, to not be a discerning people, but understand um, the importance of following Christ. You know, we were reflecting last week and a couple weeks ago, George, about Matthew. Just he immediately followed him. And John offered a wonderful reflection about, you know, juxtaposing that with the rich young man. You know, here you have two figures both well off, and one responded and one didn't. You know, there's the fork in the road. What what are you going to do? And so Mark is saying, hey, (laughs) the road less traveled. Mm -hmm. Behold, that time is suddenly upon us. And so this is, I I think, an important piece within the context of this call to embrace uh, what it means to be a Christian disciple and ultimately uh, what that leads to. And then you have uh, with Mark... Uh, George, the emphasis on Christ asking questions, which is, to me, it's, you know, when you study Scripture, it's one of my favorite pieces to reflect on. Just who is Christ as Rabboni, you know, Rabbi, you know, this, this master teacher, who is he? And you get to see that, George, in the way in which he engages uh, the people, 
and certainly Mark wants to draw this out. He, he's constantly showing how Christ is asking questions. Well, why do you ask a question? It provokes, it draws out, it, it enables and encourages one to take ownership of uh, the proclamation of who he is and ultimately whatever question that I'm asking. And so certainly Mark wants to probe there. And he wants, and it's another way for Mark to say, hey, look, look at who he is. <laughs> Answer the question. And certainly this is, this is uh, Jesus as just being Raboni, master teacher. A, a great introduction for us into what it is to be instructed by a rabbi is the book The Chosen by Kaim Patak. Mm, as a contemporary mm. Jewish writer. Yeah. Uh, it was made into a movie about 35 years ago. The book was a bestseller. Basically, it's about two teenagers who grow to manhood, um, one raised by a, a conservative Jewish father, the other one raised by a Hasidic father, who was not only a rabbi, but also a tzaddik, or a Jewish holy man. It's absolutely a fabulous book, but um, you get something of the spirit of the yeshiva, or Jewish school, where they're uh, studying and debating, debating Talmud, the commentary of scripture that surrounds the Torah, and one of the great monuments, really, of intellectual achievement. And um, anyway, I highly recommend the book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, thanks for that resource, George. Mm -hmm. And, and in, the, in the question, you know, a point that we've talked about in the past is, okay, so, so our Lord has asked over 300 questions, and he responds with a question to the question over 300 times. Only three times did he not answer the question with a question per se. Yet, that being said, there is this element that is very rabbinical to respond to a question uh, by way of storytelling or yes. a parable. Right, at engaging the student in a visual image and in a journey through a story um, engaging the imagination. You know, one other faculty of the soul, intellect, will, memory, and imagination, mm -hmm, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, memory and will, kind of like two little old ladies down in the basement. Memory's going through her scrapbooks and imagination is yeah. taking the old <laughs> movie clips and, and splicing them if there's anyone old enough to remember that. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it, Jesus, you know, once again, is a, um, is a great teacher, as Raboni is engaging his students on all four levels, and in and in typical rabbinical style, this rhetorical question, and then also to the telling of parables or stories. Yeah, and and in doing so, he evangelizes the imagination. I, it's mm -hmm. just one of my favorite phrases from uh, Blessed John Paul II, George II. When we talk about the new evangelization, we really need to recapture who Jesus was as a teacher and is as a teacher every time we read scripture, that ultimately he would evangelize the imagination that we ourselves in, in how we go about teaching the faith. Um, <laughs> recapture, we need to recapture this piece of storytelling, a parable, a allegory, certainly. It's a way of capturing us, if you will. I mean, why are the figures of Tolkien and, and Lewis so popular in the Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings? Because they capture the imagination with, the, with their beautiful Christian images, and it draws us in, mm -hmm. and it, it, it ultimately lends itself to, to new questions. Mm -hmm. This is where the modern media is 
is so exciting because we had the Passion of the Christ a couple of years ago, Mel Gibson's yes, masterpiece, yes. and then we had the most recent one, uh, Son of God. Yes, still out. Yeah. And um, but if you look back in the history of sim- cinema, some of the first films made were um, it was a Passion play that was um, done by a French uh, movie maker way back in the 19th century. So there is a, a history of this as the technology has improved. Our storytelling has taken on another dimension. Um, and then also, too, the kind of catechesis will take place just over YouTube or over yeah, the Internet. Yeah, yeah. And so we have uh, uh, wonderful means now of, of continuing to create uh, for people's understanding and edification of visual and sound images, images and music, okay, that call us to reflect upon the truths of Scripture. Sometimes, too, though, we're not always in agreement in the way people are cast. Sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> everyone <And> has an <laughs> opinion. As everyone's got an opinion. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So we can have discussions. Yeah. And these are very, very useful. My sister and I the other night having a discussion about uh, Pontius Pilate as cast by Mel Gibson in mm. Passion. Mm. And then the gentleman who played Pontius Pilate in the most recent film, Son of God. And both have their strengths. And, but as we reflect on this person, who is Pontius Pilate and what kind of a predicament he was in mm-hmm. and what we know about his character through the Gospels, is this fascinating? Yeah, it, it lends itself to critical reflection mm-hmm. that in turn, I don't know, George, it's, it's, you know, you go to Scripture and it comes to life. Now, it's not, it's not a substitute for Scripture, obviously, but again, the imagination, it comes alive in our soul, mm-hmm. you know, and ultimately, uh, this is why it's there. I, you had mentioned one of the first movies that came out, religious movies, and I'll never forget. It was just maybe six, seven years ago. I got my hand on a letter that my had, uh, my dad had written to a cousin of his that he used to be really close with. This is um, while he was uh, in the seminary. Obviously, I'm here, so he's not a priest. <laughs> Uh, it was actually there were four or five letters, and I went through them. And in one of the letters, he's really excited to go to the movies. And and by the end of the letter, it, he makes the point that well, now it's time to go see the Ten Commandments. And mm-hmm. when the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. first came out, and he was so excited about it, and I thought, mm-hmm. why would he be excited about the Ten Commandments? Well, you know, why are we excited to go see the Passion of Christ? Why are we go? Why? I mean, I've gotten about. I've been in five different conversations about the movie Noah. Why are so people, so many people excited about seeing the movie Noah? You know, it's that imaginative piece, mm-hmm. you know, and ultimately how it just helps our faith come alive. Never substituting again, you know, the, the, the divine text itself, but ultimately what it should do for us in stirring, just not the imagination, George, but stirring the heart, because mm-hmm. this is what Christ did. I think to our... Like just reading here about Mark and about the Coptic Church, how he's revered in the Church of Egypt in a very special way as mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. patriarch and founder, it gives me added appreciation as I think back on those events almost 2,000 years ago and our upcoming ordination in our Diocese of Sacramento yes. for our bishop-designate Myron Cotta, yeah, who will serve as our auxiliary bishop to mm. Jaime Soto. We have here now in you know week and a half uh, a continuation of apostolic succession yeah. and so it just are the discussion and the preparation that um, went into coming into appearing on the program with you helps me appreciate better the significance of what it is the diocese will be participating in in just mm. a week and a half 
Yeah. Um, this man very carefully selected uh, has been appointed to this position, serve as our, as our auxiliary, and he is continuing on this unbroken tradition, this memory. Yeah. And he is to be a special v vessel of the memory of the tradition and a living witness in his 26 years of priesthood, you know, what it is to be a servant and what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, this is, you know, it's, it, it's a wonderful experience. And in, in our lifetimes within our diocese, only something that would occur maybe a handful of times. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I, it's interesting as we're talking about this, George, you know, <clears throat> I was reading last week where Pope Francis, and I think this is the second time he's done so, he really encouraged the bishops in the West to go into the parishes Say more masses in the parishes. Hear confessions in the parishes. Mm -hmm. Go to the people. That servanthood. He's really wanting mm -hmm. the people in this diocese and all dioceses in the West to encounter mm -hmm. in a very real way, George, this apostolic succession. To encounter Matthew, Mark, you know, these mm -hmm. these figures who represent ultimately uh, the person of Christ and how it at the same time, encourages us to live out a more dynamic faith life. Well, it, it has, uh, we have as the laity our marching orders to pray for these men who serve in the place of the apostles, as descendants of the apostles, that they will respond to grace as the Spirit presents it to them, that there will be a kairos breaking through into mm -hmm. our chronos. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's an opening in the clouds when to be a leader doesn't mean to exercise power and authority in, a, in an overbearing way to be truly servant leaders. And um, just kind of that, that, that image of the clouds opening and that light shining through and then the, our bishop or any one of us actually responding to yes. God's grace at that moment, that, that uh, little suggestion to walk in the footsteps of Christ, to be light and love and peace to those around us and to make those little sacrifices every day to um, bring about that leavening effect in the world. And it has a huge impact when we embrace this, George. I mean, the impact we can have on one another when we receive God's grace, <laughs> when we take God and ultimately bring Him down into our lives and, in, and bring Him to others. I... I, I <laughs> I've been in a number of conversations recently where people have been living in, in great despair, um, a lot, heavy, heavy challenges, some economic, um, some relationships, so on and so forth. The power we have in Christ, in our living sonship in Christ, the grace that we receive, ultimately, and this would be our end point really, George, is that when we draw from this grace, we draw from this kairos, if you will, mm -hmm. how we think of Kronos, how we think of man t man's time, what we think about the world as we see it, it changes. Mm -hmm. When they encounter truth, when they encounter Christ, suddenly t tomorrow changes for them. And this is the great calling that we have to be able to take up the cross and ultimately share with people what this cross looks like, that it might in fact affect change. And, and this is... This is the stuff of history when you start talking about, again, that timeline, all of the, the little things that people did to, to make a bigger difference. 
We're out of time. This was a lot of fun, George. A lot of fun. Definitely going to have you back, and I look forward to it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. And God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.